Hey you. Yeah, you. The one trying to make a video game. I've got someone here that can help you, and that someone is Intel, which is not a someone, it's a company. But this company, they are going to help you as if they were a somebody and a someone and also a something. Check out software.intel.com slash gamedev to find out how Intel is making sure all the innovation in gaming continues to happen on the PC as part of the Intel Game Dev program. Again, that URL is software.intel.com slash gamedev. Sign up and start something new. Internet, you're busy. Let's do this. Uh, round two, actually. We just had a technical malfunction. You'll never hear it. I'm throwing it in the dumpster for good. Uh, welcome to the GameSpeed Decides podcast. It's the podcast where we decide everything about the world of video games so you don't have to think for yourself. I'm your host, Jeffrey Grubb. With me is... Hi, this is Stephanie. And? Oh, hi. It's there he is. Yeah. See, he doesn't like doing things twice. He was just going to give up. He's going to quit any second, you could tell. Um, in today's episode, we're going to oh, go over the news. It's just been gonna... a long week. Yes, it has. It's not. It's not going to end. We got PSX still coming up tonight. Uh, we're going to cover that right right after we're done here. Uh, we're going to also get into some games. Uh, talk about throat babies and the patronage system. It's going to be a whole good time riot I, fun. I don't understand what you mean by throat babies. Are you sick? No one do you does. Have a lot of mucus. I love the throat babies. <laughs> we'll get into the throat babies very soon. First, though, I want to thank everyone for joining us. Is this you some get more. like Tumblr meme that I don't know anything about? No, it is Hideo Kojima, who is an auteur. Uh, and he makes video games uh, on his own now. Is this he is, the thing I yelled about? It's it's something everyone. Yeah, I mean it's it's a, it's a baby in a throat. It's a baby living inside the throat of. Oh, uh, I know what you mean. Of now. actor Norman Reedus. <laughs> Norman Reedus well, and the funky fetus. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So yeah, it's a tumbleweed now for sure. Um, okay, let me let me get through this. If you have something to share with us, you can email the podcast at gamesplus.podcast at venturebeat.com. That's the plus sign. Uh, we also have a Twitter at, at gamesbeat and at gbdecides. If you're watching this on Facebook or YouTube, there's an audio version that you could subscribe to. Uh, feel free to do that. It's on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and more. Finally, if you like the show, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, that would be very helpful. It helps people find the show. Um, okay, so like I said, it's been a long week. We haven't had a lot of time to get games in, and yet I've still played a lot of games. Um, it looks like we all have. Stephanie, why don't we start with you? Why don't you kind of go over what you've been playing? Sure. Uh, I still have to kind of catch up on some of the bigger titles this year, but I've been playing a lot of like smaller indie games. Like There's one on the front page of Itch.io called Healthy Breakfast, which is this like surreal and cereal, as Jason said in our first take, <laughs> a surreal puzzle game pretty good. where you're just trying to find like a donut and it's got this like vaporwave aesthetic with all these colors and it's just like a really cool chill time about half an hour and it's awesome um and i've been playing this iranian puzzle game which is sort of this like mathematical geometrical drawing slash puzzle solving thing where you're trying to match up shapes by like drawing lines by clicking on an object that's moving it's like kind of hard to explain but when you see it it totally makes sense it's like those drawing tools where you have like the little circles and you put your pen in it and it like makes a spiral it's like that but with puzzles so huh. all right well that that's like so like uh 
what was that commercial called? I, I mean, this is probably way before your time, actually. But there's like the, the that toy they used to have on Nickelodeon, Spirograph. Yeah, yeah, like. that. Yeah, they still have yeah. Spirographs. Yeah, I mean, is, is that the brand name or is that like what the tool's called? I I, I don't I can't remember. Yeah, I don't okay, know. No. But yeah, that's what it is. Was a kid <laughs> that is what it is. Okay. A kid brought it out a couple of weeks ago at a party I was at with my kids. Yeah, they, they're. That's really fun. It's fun with they math. Have fun with it. Yeah, that's uh, that. That sounds cool. I, I, I'm interested to see how the puzzles work, so I'm going to check that out. Uh, what else have you been putting time into this week? Uh, this week, I mean, <laughs> I haven't really had a lot of time. Really, yeah, exactly. Just, yeah. yeah, it's mostly just like little games here and there when I can sneak them in. I'm looking forward to trying out the DLC for the Shrouded Isle, which is from Tip Fox Games. It's that cultist simulator. Um, they like reached out to me because I didn't really give them a great review. But, you know, I, lo- <laughs> I love the concept, so I really want to see where they're taking it. So I'm going to be checking that out tonight. That was okay. one of your first reviews for us, wasn't it? Yeah, lots of cults and cats. That's like... My games beat brand, I guess. <laughs> yeah, cat beat. Don't yeah. beat cats. Just cover them. That's why. Oh, that's how she does it. Hug hey, my cat beats me up. If anything, um, my cat person, punches me in the face. You're the first person we've ever had to write a disclaimer about cats with. Yes. <laughs> Only did? I don't remember. Yes. Yeah. yeah. For any time she covers something that Lee Alexander did, we had to do a disclaimer about how she adopted Lee's cat. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> All right, that's a very good disclaimer. All right, I like well, that a lot. You know how I am about being transparent. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, but it's also great when it can be a good, awesome like disclaimer like that. I don't know. It's very fun. Um, I, I mean, I guess speaking of Lee, uh, she wrote a game, and that's one of the games you've been playing, right? Yeah, so I actually just finished writing a review for it, but it's Reigns for Majesty, sorry, uh, which is the follow-up to Muriel's Reigns, which came out last year, which is like a mobile game that's like card-based, card-based kingdom simulator. It's really awesome. Yeah, and it's not like a, it's not like a competitive card game or anything like that. It's just like uh, the the gameplay, the actions all take place on cards that come at you one at a time, and you make yeah. decisions based on those cards. Yeah, it's like like a Tinder mechanic where you yeah exactly have to agree it's and t- Tinder cards yeah yeah. Yeah, so but they added a bunch of new systems in with like an inventory, and now there's like astrological symbols. So like each time you're reincarnated as the new queen, there's like different events that you can trigger. So it's a lot deeper, and there's a lot of Easter eggs. It gets kind of meta. It like kind of glitches out sometimes. But all in all, it's just like a really clever, you know, enjoyable experience. It looked like um, when I was editing your review, there was also had some things to say about our society. Yeah, like when I talked to Lee about it, she really wanted to emphasize that she didn't want it to be like this beautiful feminist masterpiece. Like at the end of the day, she wanted to just create an enjoyable uh, game. You know, she was like, I'm not going to like change the world with my comedy video game. But, you know, it's from her perspective, her personality is in it. And um, it really sort of takes to heart that you're playing from the queen's perspective. So you have to deal with like, you know, the church comes to you and it's like, oh, can you wear like less revealing dresses? Or, oh, can you like, you know, do this or that? And like the king will sometimes undermine your authority and you have to kind of decide how you respond. And sometimes you have to compromise because you need to keep everyone happy. Otherwise you end up burned at the stake, you know? So it, it kind of makes the choices a little bit more interesting because you might want to respond a certain way, but you're forced to do otherwise to kind of game the system and get the numbers where you need it to be. 
That's it. Do you think you feel the pressure of that stuff when you're playing? Because it's a uh, something I thought about when I was thinking, like, okay, you know, Lee's right in this game. It's it's definitely not going to just be like the the Pac Man to Miss Pac Man like like character swap. Like, there's going to be some. It's going to be dealing with some things. But how did that like? How did it actually feel when you were playing it? I think it definitely makes some decisions a lot more impactful than they would be otherwise. I mean, there were some decisions that were just general like royalty stuff, you know, like should we have a winter harvest, you know, like should we do this or that with our like army, which is, you know, gender neutral. But then there are certain decisions where it feels like sort of a personal attack on you and you're like, "Eh," you know, (laughs) so I think it definitely made you feel like you were role playing as this character. And this was a very specific experience that this character is going through that that other characters would not go through, you know, so I think it really grounded it. And the role playing aspect wasn't really as big in the first reigns. Yeah, yeah. I was so like you play the first reign, do you play this one? Uh, do, do you almost feel like there's a, like a, a contrast there uh, that a lot of people will notice? And there's a lot more here. Is it just the systems? Is it just the writing? Like what is it? I feel like it sort of takes the first game a little further. You know, like um, when I was interviewing Francois, the the developer behind Muriel, um, I think he's actually just Muriel is just him (laughs) but like um he was saying that he felt like the first game kind of went in all these different directions whereas her majesty is like this really cohesive narrative you know so they even the development team felt like this is like a one whole story whereas the first one was kind of like an experiment like a really awesome and fun experiment but this one is sort of like like a more polished follow-up i feel like i like that i like durant's a lot so i'm gonna i'm gonna check this one out as well um anything else stephanie pretty much it yeah how about you jason what you been up to well i'm i'm so i'm I'm, so we got expansion for both elder scrolls legends and hearthstone so i've been playing those um you don't want me to talk about that because you always get annoyed well i mean if mike was here i'd I'd let you go off the chain for almost a whole 60 seconds but i know 60 seconds (laughs) Um, i'm just having a lot of fun with both of the uh what's nice about the elder scrolls is this expansion is story content so there's some really fun puzzles but give me the high level on these on these like what uh, because when you and mike do talk about it you guys get into the nitty-gritty but i'm still always interested in like how do this how this changes like how p- players overall are going to be approaching these games? So get, get, like, what's the overall on so with the Elder Scrolls? So for Kobolds and Catabolds, which is Hearthstone new expansion, it it does two things. First of all, it's kind of a Dungeons and Dragons flavored expansion, and what it, what it's doing is bringing in new legendary weapons and some new mecha- a new mechanic called Recruit, which brings cards out of your deck onto the battlefield. And it just came out yesterday, and it's got a new single-player mode called Dungeon Run, which is you don't even need any cards to play it. It builds your own decks. It has pre-made stuff that you add as you go through each boss. You fight up to um, eight bosses. And it's a lot of fun. I really like that. Um, Clockwork City expansion is going to the titular Clockwork City um, and Elder Scrolls, and you're fighting against a lot of fabricants, which are different than the Dwarven Dwarmer. Uh, machines and how you pronounce that word i never i can never figure it out i say dormer but i have no idea if i'm right or not okay Pete heinz can tell me next week yeah uh i'm gonna talk to him about it but on top of that then i've been playing skyrim on my switch every night and in bed and that's how i go to bed i play i play skyrim and 
you know, it, it's it's in the, it's an old game at this point. It's an old game at this point, but it's 2011, still 2012. Yeah, but it's still a lot of fun. And I, the only glitch I'm getting on that little switch is uh, the lightning bolt spell. It glitches some, and it kind of it's like the poor switch is burping when a lightning bolt comes out. <laughs> well, let me ask a lot of people. That's been like a key can't complaint against specifically this version and maybe the VR version. I guess a lot of the bugs are almost exactly the same as they were when the game launched originally. Uh, and then the switch version is based on the special edition, like modern console version. Yeah. Uh, that, that doesn't bother me like even a little bit. Like I don't even think about it. I play the game. I almost never encountered bugs. I played it more than a hundred hours easily uh, like in its original version. And I don't remember encountering really any bugs or anything like that. Yeah. But uh, does that bother you that they didn't make any improvements uh, or any fixes, at least in terms of these bugs? Well, you know, I never encountered a bug with lightning bolt on the PC or a console. So this is the first time. So I don't know if it's because there was a problem. It's just an old bug or if it's just the switch. I'm just not using lightning bolt. I'm using blade blade. I'm using fire and ice. Um, yeah, and then kind of feel the same way. Yeah. I've, you know, I'm trying to weed myself off Dragon's Dogma so I can get into Nier and a couple other games for Game of the Year. Uh, this is the remaster on PS4. And here's the thing that no one was taught. I don't remember anyone talking about when they reviewed it. Maybe just because the pe- right people didn't review it. Maybe I should have. But with uh, right. Dark Arisen, it, you know, it's not the open world. It's it's one island. It's basically a mega dungeon underneath. But I really like that mega dungeon because it reminds me of some of the old mega dungeons of Dungeons and Dragons. It's like you're going into the mega dungeon under Castle Greyhawk. And I'm really digging that aspect because it's, you know, with your pawns, those are the non-player characters who are helping you and you get to switch them out for stronger ones as you go along in different classes. Uh, it's like you're building a party. So you're kind of taking those pods and decide, okay, this is how I'm going to take on the dungeon for this run. And then we'll go in and then we'll come back out and we'll sell our loot and we'll make our weapons better. And then we'll go back in. And um, I know a lot of people are saying that dark arisen was something that they weren't so enamored with compared to the first game, but I'm really liking this aspect because I really missed the big bad dungeon like that. Um, and the should, last- uh, real quick, that, that was uh, the, the dark, Say the name again. I can't that's remember the, the dark, full name. Ever. That's the Dark Erasure expansion to Dragon's Dogma because it's Dragon's you know it's Dogma. all part. Of, it's just, all together in the remaster. Yeah, I just get it mixed up with the uh, deep down. But uh, you should write that. I would actually be interested to to read about like your take on that because that is not something I don't think I ever really yeah. heard anyone talk about. And before, then so. the That'd last game I've been playing has been a little um, game on my phone called Trido. It's for it's a puzzle game with numbers, and you have to make what they's called a Trido by doing a sequence of a one, two, or three. And you drop the numbers down as if you're playing uh, Connect 4. Of course, it's only Connect 3, but you have to connect a 1 or 2 and a 3 together. And while you're doing this, you have to stop the AI from doing it. And so it's really, it's kind of like Connect connect 4, but with numbers. That's and cool. That's You're only connecting 3. Yeah, we got, you know, we get, I try to read every single little pitch that comes in. And this one came in from this, you know, one person game developer. And I can't remember if it was Romania or Bulgaria. And she so made this game. That's it. Again, the name is Trido. Yeah, Trido. What's it on? What's T- it on? Uh, iOS and Android. Okay. T-R-I-D-O with the yeah. app on the D. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, it, that's been a fun little game that I've been playing. But, yeah, you know, this is the time of the year where I should be playing, you know, Hellblade to check it out. Mm-hmm. And I should be playing more of Nier to get enough for a game 
of the year, but I'm enjoying Skyrim and Dragon's Dogma, and I just want to keep playing them. I think it's fine. You know, they you are releases. Play near, unless it's to help me convince people it shouldn't be game of the year. Well, I need to get a little further. I've almost I've almost played enough of it, but I just need to get a little further. Well, hang on. You you got one last game here. Why don't you talk? T- tell me what you've been doing with Civilization Six, and then I'll, oh. I'll talk about Nier. Maybe you and I can go off. I have Steph, Have you played Nier? Before? I mean, I guess we can. I haven't yet. I have that. That's I need to play that this weekend. But okay. your um, opinion seems to be very controversial. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, I'll talk about so, it. Let's let, let's let Jason go off on. So <laughs> Civ Six, Civ Six. Uh, you know, the first expansion was announced recently, so I've just been replaying that because. Um, unlike the other Civs, this, Civ Six never captured me the same way. You know, Civ Five was. A, I don't think you're alone on that. I, I was the same way, and I think a lot yeah. of people felt that way. But now I've added a bunch of mods, and I, you know, it's it's going to become a daily play for me again. I think. Oh, that's good. That's good. But I think I, I was waiting for the expansion to kind of get back into it, and I'm yeah, like, yeah. That's a good point. The mods are there as well, and they but, have tons of mods of mod support. So yeah, and you know, I know I. I'm playing with about 10 different ones right now, and I'm going to write this up sometime in January, probably. But, you know, that's the thing now with Civ. You know, you always needed to wait an expansion or two to really dig into it. But mm. now with Steam Workshop... Uh, so easy. Those are... You still need to wait. But that's when, you know, instead of Firaxis fixing issues that people see, people are just fixing those issues. Like, yeah. just little just, just little ones. Like, you know, there, there's this little quality of life mod that lets you start with a builder. You know, that's not big. That's cool. But yeah. that gives you just a little jump start for, right. so for those first few boring 10 turns. Yeah, exactly. You, you're going to be clicking through those first 10 turns anyhow as fast as you can, so you might as well yeah. skip over it. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. So so I, I'm, I'm back all in on that, and I'm going to be playing a lot, and hopefully during the quiet time of January, if we ever get quiet time, I'll write a little bit about it. I was gonna say, like, yeah, like you're like you're talking about like finding time for for game of the year games, but you're also playing Civilization Six, which is just not a. It's a game that could fill up all of your time if you let it. Well, yeah, but I never have. But yeah, you know, and oh, and I'm coaching my kids' basketball team, which is how's that going? That, that's basically a, a video game. That's turning into a video game <laughs> yeah. in itself. Yeah, yes, management it sim is. It yeah. is a management <laughs> sim. I I spent about twenty minutes today going over drills. That I'm sending PDFs out to 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 Man, parents. Yeah, yeah, it really is a management sim. <laughs> yeah, you have spreadsheets and stuff. Not yet. I mean, it's only second graders. <laughs> I mean, still, if you I take it seriously, spread- Jason. If I had spreadsheets for second graders, I would be a very sick parent. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt, for sure. Uh, I, I want to hear that. We're going to do updates on this as the season progresses. So, are you are you just drinking out of a jar? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, that's how I, I think I have. You're a not Texas. Jars in, in my like, no, hipster. It's very different. Like you gotta, gotta let her have. Well, oh, no, oh, it's uh-oh. because I discovered dishwashers for the first time, and I didn't realize that all of my so, cups I, would be locked in the dishwasher drying. So, <laughs> and I, I it's not this. a prison. You you're the warden. <laughs> like you can let them free no, whenever you this. want. So just as a little just a little aside and. Uh, I don't know if this applies to other cultures, but my wife being Chinese, the dishwasher, it's a dish rack. It's not for washing dishes. Yeah. So having Taiwanese parents and living in New York for like seven years, I just never had a dishwasher and I tried it for the first time. I was just in my kitchen for the last three months and I tried it for the first time like yesterday. And I was like, this is glorious. 
There's an episode of Fresh Off. There's an episode of Fresh Off the Boat, and the kids are just in the same place Steffi's. <laughs> when I hear it, it fills me with an unspeakable happiness. It's just doing <laughs> chores for me in the background. It's incredible. It's the uh, this this feels like um if you ever watch any mystery science theater through that thousand shorts a lot of times they'll have stuff for like old like washing machine commercials and like house house product commercials and stuff like that and I feel like that's that's what we're doing right now it's a ma- <laughs> it's magical it's doing the chores for me it's life changing whereas you know your mother's in the background telling you that you know stuff that white people use are gonna make you soft <laughs> no she's like you'll never survive the the zombie apocalypse now. <laughs> Man, I've it, it, I've always had a dishwasher, and it's because I'm a, a white kid who grew up in the suburbs. So, yeah, I think I was I think I, I think I was born with one. They just hand you one if you're if that's your situation. So, yeah. So you uh, always knew. You always knew how amazing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I actually I still appreciate it. Maybe not quite as much. Maybe that's the I'm missing that that beautiful aspect of my life where it's like, oh man, my life has changed. But I still like whenever it's going, I'm like, yeah, this is right. This is good. All right. Uh, I've my, been playing. I've been playing my, a few games. My kid oh, yeah, said I'm not allowed to use it for anything but a dish rock. <laughs> That's the rule now, I guess. Trained him for young. Jeez. He'll I learn. Mean, He'll learn one day. <laughs> I mean, I. My wife. We're talk, this is the dishwasher talk now. But my my wife wants to do everything in the dishwasher, and uh, you know she grew up without one, and now she's got one. She wants to do every, like any sort of dish. It all goes in there. I'm like, okay, the big dishes. I'll just wash them by hand. Like I've done, I've worked plenty of dishwashing jobs. These ones, I can get these done so much faster. Just let me get them done and put them away. No, she wants to do them in the I've, dishwasher. I've run the dishwasher three times in like, <laughs> in like the last 24 hours. Cause I'm like, it's amazing. It goes you in. You the knives. <laughs> but you won't have to wash them. Blunt knives. Yeah. They'll be clean and she didn't do any work. That's awesome. All right. Well, I, what are I, you I, playing, Jeff? Yes, yeah, I know. We, did, we keep this show going. Um, I Okay, so. Near Automata, uh, Automata. I can never, I'll never get it right the first time. Um, I've, I've finished my first playthrough, playthrough A, and I started B just to kind of see what, what would happen. Um, and I am, uh, what's that? What? Oh, I said B2. No. Very good. Yes. Yeah. I see what you did there. Um, <laughs> I don't like this game so far, which is a weird thing to say after you've seen the credits of a video game as if it's going to change, which, Apparently it still could. A lot of people told me if I don't like it by now, just to quit. And I feel like I have to see this thing through because if there's any chance I can understand what people like about it, I have to see it for myself. Um, Jason, you've been putting a little bit of time into it. How, how much have you played? Not as much as you. Yeah, but when like, I give start... me give me an idea where you're, where you're at. Like a couple hours in? Oh, uh, about five. Okay. Well, okay. I mean, have you been doing a lot of side quests? Yes. Okay, so come you're on, pri- Jeff. This is me. I do all the side quests. Yeah, no, I know that's that's fair. I uh, I'm I'm gonna do a lot more on my second playthrough. I did some, uh, and there's uh, definitely there's definitely good writing. Um, there's definitely some fun sci-fi elements in there. You know, the the machines are you know they have the religion and they they're alive and they're having children and they're pu- putting on makeup and there's a lot of there's, there's a lot of stuff there. There's a lot of meat to what they're trying to go at, and apparently it's gonna keep changing and do some new stuff that a lot of like this genre of sort of sci-fi that it's it's you know, dabbling in, uh, that we haven't seen a lot before. Cause a lot of the stuff we have seen before. So I'm not like having my mind blown at all or, you know, in any way, just from the, you know, the storytelling, uh, the gameplay though. I, I just don't, uh, the world is barren and I get that there's a, it's that way for a reason. Uh, but I don't, it doesn't feel like it's barren for a reason when you're actually playing. It just feels like lazy. 
Um, and then, you know, for example, like all the buildings are completely empty inside. Uh, and there's only like a few that you can actually walk inside of, even though all of them have like open windows. The windows are right there or like you know, sometimes even open doors, but there's just invisible walls everywhere. So it just feels like, you know, like slapped together, like haphazardly. Um, and then, the, you know, the combat, uh, it's from Platinum Games. So it's got that, you know, the, the combo heavy mashing buttons to get a lot of cool stuff to happen uh, stuff and i love bayonetta and i love bayonetta 2 a lot more than bayonetta uh and this is not on that level of of platinum games it's not you know it's not teenage mutant ninja turtles and it's not, it's not no i i know but it's not it's also not fun uh it's just sort of mindless uh it's so mindless that like you can get to a point where you're just like actually it can play itself like you can get mods to do that like for your character uh and put on like you know, auto combat and auto evade and all this stuff. And I, you know, I appreciate that stuff because like, for example, like the evasion to, uh, mechanic, it's, it's interesting. It does that, does, that is just like Bayonetta. Uh, but the, the, your enemies don't really convey what they're going to do in a way that gives you a chance to evade them sort of every time. Like you, you're going to have to guess a lot of the time, or you are gonna have to do a lot of trial and error to figure out their patterns. Um, and, you know, the fights just weren't fun enough for me to want to do that. So I'm like, okay, I'll just I'll apply this thing. But now the game's playing itself. So these, these fights are kind of even more boring. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I was waiting for the magic to happen and it never did. Uh, I'm going to keep playing it. And I'm sure we'll talk about it uh, during Game of the Year. Because I know some people, uh, you know, on our staff still do like it a lot. Mike likes it a lot. I played well, it because my... People, some people is Mike. Well, I, I, no, I, I think Anthony likes it as well. Who knows? Yeah, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, but I, you know, Mike was like, "Hey, Jeff, you'll like this. I think you will." I'm like, "Okay." And I like where it, you know, it plays with different. I like how it plays with different mechanics. Like what? Oh, you what? mean like that? There's, there's, it's like a shmup, and then it's like you know, yeah, yeah, that stuff. Okay, I agree. And I'm, I'm I, really, uh, I, that's what I like about Deer. The world, the messages. Eh, I just like how it plays with the mechanics. Right. To me, that's a lot of fun because a lot of games don't change mechanics like that. Yeah. Uh, it's so basically it's a lot of times it does feel like a third person character action plat, platinum mm-hmm. game, but then it'll switch perspectives and then your character becomes basically like a, a shmup shooter. Sometimes he, you know, she or he will even go into the, these big, you know, battle rigs and turn into ships and go out and fly just like a shmup. Uh, so yeah, it's, I do like that. That stuff's cool. I'm appreciating it more in the early parts of playthrough B cause it starts that way. Uh, and you're kind of playing from a different perspective. Um, I guess playthrough B does get very similar to playthrough A here pretty quickly. Um, I'm not at that point yet. So right now I'm like, oh, this is different. At least it's not the same thing over and over again. See, I, re- I really respect that sort of, uh, you know, subverting game design expectations. Yeah, no, I, I and I, I think I appreciate it. I just, I'm just not having a good time with it. And I'm not well, you know, not every thrilled. game. Not every game is. Yeah, no, I you. totally, absolutely. I just, I just like just, not every game is meant for me. Right, and I think know? that's where I'm. I think that's where I'm at. I think I'm at yeah. a point where I'm like, this game isn't for me. And but it just it goes so much further. It's like I don't, and I don't get why anyone is saying it's like so great. I just don't get it yet. And I'm trying to understand. I really am, uh, and I'm going to keep trying. Um, it's like it's like last year when was it last year or was it two years ago when I kept saying how much I didn't like Titanfall. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely that was. I mean, Titanfall well, two probably. It was it was 2014, the original Titanfall. Oh, it was the original. <laughs> okay, yes. So yeah, it was a while ago then. Yeah, yeah. I feel, uh, like, yeah, a, yeah, I feel like a lot of people who are really into Nier Automata are into sort of the aesthetic and like the world and just sort of like how it looks. 
Yeah, I haven't really heard anything about the gameplay or the story necessarily. Right. You'll check it out this weekend. Yeah, I will. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I do think the I think the character designs are, are cool. I mean, yeah. it's kind. I mean, it's hard not to be like, oh, hey, there's there's her butt again. Most of the time, like in most most of the time, it's just like, oh, butt. Um, but then when it's not, but it's like, oh yeah, okay, cool, cool character design. Um, okay. I, other games, uh, Yakuza zero. I started it. Uh, this is another game. People are talking a lot about, um, uh, for game of the year, uh, kind of like on the periphery of the things that like everyone's talking about. Um, and so I, I'm like, oh, I'll try it. I'll, I'll check it out. It's, I haven't played a Yakuza game before. Um, but I, I guess I have, cause I played Shinmu and you could definitely feel the lineage of that, of that old game here it's from the same team it's basically that's Sega's Shinmu team became the Yakuza team um I I really like how it is a small open world game it's very it's like a city block and they recreate it and it's got you know the neon lights and you can you know hold down the you know the right bumper button to make your character walk slowly and like you know like he's just strolling through the street um, and you really feel like you're in that place um at the same time it does feel like uh, cheap. It feels like limited by its budget, but I don't know if that's even bothering me because it's very charming at the same time. Um, My kids are home. Yeah, it's it's okay. We can. Yeah, hi, kids. Hello. <laughs> uh, um. Uh. But uh, like, yeah. But the but so the budgetary constraints aren't really bothering me too much. Uh, I do think that not quite as bad as near like near. I'm not sure. I'm getting why people are so in love with it yet, but. I'm not nearly as far into that game as I Well, am. I think one thing that would help you, Yakuza, if you had a lot of love for not only Japan, but, you know, been to Shibuya and all that. I think that does. I think you're right. I think that's a big part of it. Uh, I don't, it's not like I, you know, I have a appreciation. I'm just not, I'm not a weeb. I'm not Mike Minotti. So, yeah. <laughs> Oh, no, yeah. he's not here to defend himself. <laughs> yeah, but he'll admit that he's weeb trash. He does every week at this point, but pretty much. Um but yeah, I don't know. It's it's at the, it, that's not to say I'm like I don't have you know a fondness for a lot of that stuff. And like at, when you are walking at night and everyone's out drinking, like all the characters around you are out drinking, uh, and the the you know the streets are drenched in neon. And then you go into a a karaoke bar and you play the rhythm game to sing a bad like a terrible karaoke song. Okay, that stuff that stuff's cool. If it's like a lot of these like side like, these side things that I'm doing, I think I will kind of get it. Um, it's just the core gameplay where it's you know it's kind of a a combat fighting beat em up uh, and you know, the main story, who knows if that's going to be interesting or it's just going to be kind of a, a silly um, sort of a Goodfellas type thing. We'll see. I don't know. Uh, I want to give that some time too. Um, real quick. I hate go- karaoke. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I, I bet you, I bet, the thing is, the tragic thing is you probably have a beautiful voice, Jason. No, I don't. It's, pro- <clears throat> it's probably gorgeous. Express yourself. Yeah, back in open up the chest. That's right. Yeah. Back, in, back in college, it was, you know, the reason why I was a good writer was because I had a face for radio and a voice for print. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't know. I feel like it's the dishwasher all over again. Once you discover it, Jason, you're going to fall in love. Golden pipes. That's right. Um, real quick, uh, Z- the Zelda DLC number two came out last night. Uh, did you get the master cycle zero? Not yet. Uh, it's, it's the, the, the challenge you have to do with to get it. It's actually pretty tough. Uh, so what happens is, uh, it's called the ballad of champions or something or champions ballad. Champions ballad. Yeah. yeah. You get a, a trident like weapon that takes your health all the way down to the, the minimum. Like you have a quarter of a heart le- left. Uh, and essentially as long as you're holding this weapon, 
that's where your life's going to be. So uh, any one hit from any enemy will kill you. But this weapon kills every every enemy with one hit as long as as long as it's charged up. Uh, if you use it enough, like back to back to back, it will lose its charge and take a minute to like come back uh, before you can kill people in one hit again. Um, so what what happens is you got to go to these different camps of enemies, take them all out, uh, and once you, I guess once you take out all the enemies camps, you do get the motorcycle. I took out one. Excuse me. I took out one camp, uh, and it was difficult. It was hard. Uh, I think a big part of it was I hadn't I haven't played Zelda since July, and kind of getting back into the mechanics and feeling like you know figuring out how to move my character like so he wouldn't get hit because that's something like I didn't really worry about because I had so much life. I was like, oh, I could get hit. So even when I was playing, it's not a skill I necessarily had. Uh, so it took me maybe an hour of retrying um, these sections to get to a point where I felt comfortable enough to kind of go in and get in these combat encounters and feel like, okay, I'm going to be able to handle myself. Uh, that first hour was shaky, and I'm glad I didn't record it or stream it or anything because I would have been embarrassed. Um, last game, uh, another Switch game, Never well, Stop I, Sneaking. I have a question about oh, Zelda. please, shoot. Why is there a motorcycle in it? It's his divine feast. That's right. It's it's fantasy magic. Okay. I, the better question is why why isn't there a motorcycle in every video game, Jason? I yes. think that's what. Yes. Yeah. Well, I can tell you in Final Fantasy Fifteen because they have a car. Fair enough. I, I, mean, <laughs> I still don't. I don't buy it though. It doesn't work for me. Same for Gran Turismo. It's about cars. I, yeah, you, need a, I you need a motorcycle though, a little sidecar. There you go. Stuff in it. <laughs> <laughs> I, man, I wish this Divine Beast had a sidecar. It does not, I don't think. Um, but I, I want to. Sidecar is a good drink. <laughs> sidecar? That's true. Yeah. I don't, I've never had one. It's a whiskey. It's a sweeter whiskey drink. Okay. I, I believe you guys. I'll try it. I'll have, a, I'll have my bartender make one for me. Um, last game, Never Stop Sneaking. It is a. It's basically a Metal Gear Solid sort of clone. No, it's it's an homage to Metal Gear Solid, and it is an absolute like it mocks it at the same time, like in a, in a very harsh way. Uh, but it's all done for you know for comedic effect. So, I guess let me, let me just describe the opening sequence. Uh, so at the very beginning of the game, you boot it up, uh, and you see this this military general on a plane, and he's just walking past his forces or whatever. Uh, and the back of the plane opens up, and he just still silently walking back and forth until he sort of like walks to the front of the plane gets sort of prepared physically. You can see him like tense up and it's all like PS one and metal gear solid style graphics. So it's these like uh, very pixelated low texture characters. Uh, and he tenses up and then he just runs to the back of the plane, no parachute and just jumps out and he's like holding his coffee and he just like, you know, go, you know, gets all, you know, makes himself all narrow to go, you know, slip through the wind faster uh, and like drops his coffee mug on like halfway down. Uh, and he just keeps doing this until he hits this carrier in the water and just sort of slides across the deck. And he's still this general, this old general in this uniform slides across his deck. And he just does like the metal gear pose. And the camera work is just like metal gear where it's like, it goes in tight to his face. And then like, he'll like turn to the camera a little bit, but like look past it over his shoulder and his arm will be sort of sticking out still like an anime character. And then the coffee mug just falls right into his hand. And then he just stands up and like takes a swig of it. Um, so <laughs> yeah, that's it's, where you lost me. Cause you know, a really good sky jumper there, would never lose his coffee. What you would get was the coffee cup would be in his hand, but then the coffee would fall down and spill into the cup. Yeah, that, that's a good point. But you could tell, like, he, you know, he's older, he's out of practice. That's why he's going to the main character of the game, who is not this general, 
who's going to actually be doing all the, the, the you know the special forces work. So the way the game plays, like I mean, it, you know, it's it's definitely the, this you know Metal Gear comedy. Like there's Vice President Helicopters, like one of the enemies you're going to face, and like there's another boss called Senators Shoud and Freud. Um, and, and so is it is it Vice President Helicopter an actual helicopter? It's an actual helicopter. So and it's just it's a Hein D, uh, which is just straight out of Metal Gear Solid. Um, so yeah, it. it, it like it's yeah, it's set up you know for for all these you know jokes and stuff. Uh, but the gameplay feels very clearly like this was a mobile game. It was it started as a mobile game. It's from the guy uh, Humble Hearts is, is the name of the developer, but it's just one dude basically. He's the dude that made Dust and Elysian Tale, which is that Metal Gear or no, that Metroidvania style furry game. I guess is how I would describe it. Which I it was I thought it was fine. I reviewed it. Um, I didn't I didn't love it, but it was it was fine. It was a good game. Um, it seems like he was making this game for mobile, making it for touch screens, and then he adapted it for um, for Switch because I maybe I think he maybe so looked around, so oh the Switch is doing really well, indie games are doing really well. Maybe Nintendo reached out to him and said, hey, you want to make something for us? Uh, and the reason I think it's made for mobile is because it's it has one touch control. You could just play with a thumbstick. Everything else is almost done uh, automatically. So for example, you'll go into a you go into a sneaking encounter. There's a guy with a vision cone, you know, walking back and forth in his, you know, at his post. Um, you to attack him, you just walk up until you're within a zone, and once you're in that zone, you automatically swing your sword and kill him. If you walk up to him and he turns around and he sees you, if you have bullets, which are very limited, you will automatically shoot him until you run out of bullets. If you run out of bullets, he will you, you run. He sees you. He'll fire at you, and then you have to run away. And it's still just all the thumbstick. Uh, then there's like cameras. Uh, if you walk past the camera. Uh, it, you'll automatically, if it sees you, it'll automatically drop an EMP, things like that. So it, it's all like this. You never use any other buttons other than the thumbstick, except for the touchscreen, which actually works in this game. And you can actually move the character around with the touchscreen, which is not something I've ever seen in another Switch game. So, uh, yeah, it clearly made for mobile uh, to the point where, like, you could see the the uh, Crossy Road style cosmetic microtransactions uh that were built into it like you can customize your character with different swords and like there's a uh, uh, you know different character models but all the swords are like the funny things that you would see like the different kind of hats or whatever uh like there's a sword that is shaped like a, a a balloon animal for example is one i've unlocked already so yeah uh i bet this is still going to come out in, like ipad and everything everything like that so uh uh yeah at, at the same time i'm really glad it didn't come out on those things first i'm glad it started on the switch because it almost makes me feel like I am more interested in the game. I want to give it more, more of my attention and it's worthy of that, uh, that attention. And I'm not worried about microtransactions or free to play ads popping up. I just, you know, it's $15. Um, yeah. So it seems like a, a pretty good deal. I've, I've only played through like maybe the first hour, uh, but I'm going to see it through. It seems, it seems really good. Sounds you like you had more to say about its first hour than you had about a whole playthrough of near. <laughs> <laughs> no, trust me. I have a lot more to say about near, but we're going to be doing game of the year next week. So, I'm holding back. Um, <laughs> yikes. Okay. Uh, let's move on to the news. Let's get through this because um, we are, you know, we're about 40 minutes in. I want to keep this moving. <clears throat> so let's just start with what happened last night. Uh, one of the reasons this week was so busy is because Thursday comes along. We work the whole day and then the game awards happen that night and there was a lot of stuff. Um, so I, I think what I'm, oh, uh, yeah, no, that's right. I'm, yeah. What I'm gonna do is I'll just kind of go through these pretty quickly. If there's anything to say about them, we'll say them, but, uh, for the most part, I think we can jump through most of these re- relatively fast. Uh, the first one is World War Z uh, turned into a video game. So the book uh, is now, you know, was a movie, now it's a game. 
I think the the game seems like it's very much based directly on the book instead of the movie. Um, I, maybe maybe like a Left for Dead style game is what it kind of looked like, but I couldn't really tell for sure. Um, this reminds me, what was the zombie game that Dean was enamored with from E3 the last two years and that we all kept making fun oh of God. him for? I, uh, oh, what was uh, it? It's the Sony one, the one I can never remember the name of. No one can remember the name because it has such a... A terrible name. Because it looked a, like World War Z. Remember with the zombie? Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna look. I'm gonna. Okay, <laughs> Sony zombie game. What do you got for me, Google? Uh, it's it's here. Days like I gone. See, days gone. Days right. gone. Oh my, yeah, it's right there. I, I I like read the sentence and glazed over the name because it just doesn't yeah. register as a, as a name of something. Yeah, that that sounds like <laughs> that's already gonna be a World War Z game. I mean, yeah, this one's officially branded, and zombies do really well, so I get why someone would want to make this. We'll see. I don't know if it's worth being in. Too many zombies. Too many yeah. z- I don't. I just don't even care. Well, anymore. it's not even too many zombies. It's that, you know, you, you're going to have this confusion because people who didn't read the book and saw the movie, the movie is very different than the book. I think you're underestimating the fervor that some, not some, a lot of people have for zombie fiction and and zombie entertainment. Like the reason Walking Dead is still like it, it's like lost a lot of viewers this last season, but still by far like the most watched show on television or on cable. Uh, just there's a huge audience that just wants to absorb everything involving anything to do with zombies. Yeah, so I know my sister in law is one of them. Yeah, one, one of the we should just call them zombies at this point. That's, <laughs> one that's, of the zombie zombies. Yeah, yeah the zombie zombies. That's right. <laughs> um, but moving on, Vacation Simulator, new uh, VR game from Job Simulator developer Alchemy Labs. Uh, who is now owned by Google, but they are releasing this for everything. They they reiterated during the Game Awards that they are uh, dedicated to multi-platform development. Um, basically, it's it's what you imagine it would be. It is job simulator, but instead of working a job, you are taking a vacation. Um, so yeah, it'll be, I'll, I'll 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 be playing that. I like the job simulator. Um, you better be able to fire up a Winnebago to an amusement park with a moose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I really hope there is just they just take on a lot of the. Uh, the vacation movie tropes and stuff and do them here. That would be very good. Uh, yeah. Gotta have gotta a Wally world. Yeah. You gotta have the family basically yelling at each other for most of these things. So yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. From software. Uh, I, I wrote here from software is making shadow of the hedgehog two or something. That's not true. Or maybe, maybe it is, but it was like a five second teaser where I was like from software. And then I didn't write down the actual quote. It was just like shadows die twice or something like that. Um, oh, right. Yeah. I that's all it was. It was like there was no gameplay, there was no CG. There's not enough there to really talk about it. Exactly, but I mean, people love their From Software games. They, you know, you know, it's the Dark Souls people. We'll see. I, 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 I like, I, I like all their games. I just want to see more. Before yeah, if I get any judgment, I would just yeah. Well, of course, yeah. I'm not, I'm not reviewing the game, Jason. I'm just saying it's probably probably Bloodborne too, if I had to guess. Um, Campo Santo is making a new game, uh, Into the Valley of the Gods, or Into the Valley of Gods. Um, not, not the gods, just some gods. Um, it's, this is the developer that broke off from uh, uh, Telltale. And uh, the, what did they make? I, I like their game, but I can't remember. Firewatch. Firewatch, thank you. Yeah. Um, I didn't actually pay too close attention to this trailer. What did it look like? It was just basically uh, you and one other character in a valley in uh, Egypt, where you're going into pyramids. It looks like you might be an hence archaeologist. The of, hence the Valley of the Gods. The titular yeah. valley, yes. Yes, with titular gods, I guess, yes. maybe, <laughs> in the background. Right. And then it, it, there's just, like, some cool music and, you know, standard Camposanto, like, really awesome 
like orange and red. Right. Yes. Lights. Yeah. It's their signature art style, which is still stands out so much, but gets copied a million times as well. Um, I thought we'd be waiting a lot longer for a new Campo Santo game. So I'm glad that they're already rolling out with something new or at least showing. Yeah. Well, you know, this is the whole point of being a small indie studio like this is being able to, you know, you finished up your project. Now you go on to the next one. You get a little support from a big party publisher yeah. at this point in the game. And that the Jonathan Blow who took eight years to release the witness or whatever. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, but I mean, it probably took about a year, you know, seven of those eight years just to make some of those puzzles. Probably. It probably took him that long to spend all his money. And then he's like, ah, I got to release another game. Um, Zelda DLC two launched. I talk about that. It has a motorcycle. I talked about that. Uh, it they announced it and then they released vroom, it. Vroom. That was, yeah, that, that was the good thing. Does it that, go room room? Uh, I don't know yet. I hope so. I mean, he's he definitely makes it look like it goes vroom vroom. Uh, but the I think the trailer had a lot of music over it, so we'll see. Because that's what my kids will care about. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm gonna judge it based on its you know its engine sound effects. We'll see. Uh, it's also shaped like a horse. It is. It does, yes, and it has <laughs> yeah like the. It's not like a. A full standing horse, it's kind of like it, like if you were to make a motorcycle into a horse or a horse into a motorcycle. I don't know what I'm saying. Basically, yes. It, I'm glad it has that like same sort of uh, art style as some of the other Divine Beast and sticks out in that interesting way. Um, but th- this is one of the announcements where they were like, oh, wait, it's out tonight. And that was that happened a couple times during the night. Um, uh, we'll get to those. Those are always the best announcements. Yes, especially for something like this. The Game Awards where it's like, don't really know what to expect. So if and, and like almost half the time, at least for me, it's like, why am I watching this? Like, I really like being snarky on the internet. So that's why I'm watching it. But then like, why am I really watching this? And it's like, oh, okay, that's cool. Zelda DLC two out tonight. That's fun. I got excited. I for thought it. it was because you like your job. Yeah. I want to get paid. That's right. Pay me money, Jason. I'll I'll watch this for money. <laughs> <laughs> Question why you're doing your job in front of your boss. That's always a good I, That's not what happened. Uh, moving on. Insane franchise sequel number six. Uh, Soul Calibur. how quickly he did that. <laughs> Soul Calibur 6 got announced last night. I, the best thing about this is that uh, – I, I don't know. I, I retweeted this, but basically – before this was happening, uh, Jeff Keighley was doing you know rounds of interviews and stuff like that, and he went on the the podcast Kotaku's podcast, and uh, and he just like made some offhanded remarks about like the kinds of announcements people could expect, and he's like you know everyone wants insane franchise sequel number six or whatever, and you know not everything's going to be that, um, and you know they moved on, no one made a big deal of it on the podcast, but then a bunch of people covered it as news and were like Jeff Keighley teases an insane franchise sequel, uh, you know the sixth in the franchise. And then, like the you know, Jace Trier for Kotaku it was his podcast. Like, no, this is insane. Like, the, you guys are. This is just bad reporting. Like, this is a false rumor. And then it looked like maybe Jeff Keighley actually was teasing a sixth franchise sequel. Uh, I don't know. I just love that whole sequence of events. That's really fun. Um, and I they better put an, an achievement in the game called Insane Franchise Sequel Number Six because that's too good. So um, I, I I'm not I'm not much for Soul Calibur, but I'm happy. You know, for people who love it or getting it after so many years. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. The last Soul Calibur that came out, I think, was like a free to play game, and no one had a lot. No one had any good things to say about it. So we'll see if they do this one right. Tekken did really well for them, so I wouldn't be surprised. They're like, hey, if we just kind of do give uh, give Soul Calibur six the Tekken seven treatment, if if we'll make you know we'll reap the rewards. Hopefully, well, that's what they're doing. Notice too, you know, fighting games seem to be. On the upswing right now. I, you know, Street, Justice has been getting lots of... Street Fighter created a gap. Street Fighter created a, a room for these other games to succeed 
by not really delivering in the way uh, you know the latest you know a Street Fighter Five should have delivered. It didn't. Uh, so all these other games are getting room to breathe, and they're attracting different people that you know weren't playing Street Fighter in the first place. Yeah, it's really great to see. Um, good. Last Soul Calibur I played was Soul Calibur Two. So yeah, that, <laughs> it's been a while. No, yeah, I, I fell off too. Those Soul Calibur games were great, and then I just didn't keep up with them. But uh, yeah, uh, moving on, Bayonetta 1, 2, and 3 coming to the Switch. 1 and 2 were, 1 was like, like Xbox 360, I think, and then uh, it also got re-released on the Wii U when 2 came out, which was Wii U exclusive, um, because Nintendo basically paid for it. Nintendo published the game. It, it, it's never going to come to anything else. I think a lot of people thought this franchise was dead because, you know, it's a Sega-made franchise uh, developed by Platinum. And two didn't like set the world on fire in terms of sales, even though a lot of people really like that game. But it seems like Nintendo's dedicated to it, and now they're paying for Bayonetta three because it's going to be exclusive to the Switch. So, well, you, you know, there's nothing wrong with that too. You know, you don't have oh, to be yeah. a six million copy seller to be a game that's worth continuing on. You know, well, yeah, if, if you haven't, if your first party's paying for it, then definitely, I think that's always going to be the case. Yeah. Yeah, and it's nice to see that sort of investment because they not only do, do, you, do you get a game that, you know, there, there's definitely an audience for, but then, you know, Platinum continues to hone its craft and continue, and it can use those lessons for other games they make. Yeah, I, I think uh, that's a good point, kind of getting that developer more familiar with working on the Switch, maybe pay off, may, may pay off down the line. We'll see. Uh but yeah, I mean, Nintendo's one of the, you know, the three companies, uh, 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 the other ones being Sony and Microsoft that can afford to make these loss leaders, where if they do, if they don't make the money they're supposed to, or if they even lose money, they might, they might still sell systems. They give people a reason to want to buy a system. It builds an argument to buy the switch. Uh, so yeah, like they're, they're still going to get value out of this, even if the game itself isn't successful in the terms that maybe an EA or an Activision would want. But yeah. yeah, and then you you've also got just you know another example of more ports to the Switch. But notice how you know people talk about ports on consoles they get a little upset. But I don't hear people getting upset about ports on Switch so much. No, now. yeah, everyone wants everything that's ever been out to become to the Switch. I, I, I'm in the same the same camp there. Yeah, well, you know, I, I like playing games in bed. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I play them everywhere. Now I know some people have their TV set up in their bedroom and they're playing games on. Yeah, their but bed that's not no that, that's but it's so distracting and it's so much it's actually like a lot of work to like i'm gonna turn on a tv and uh you know where the controllers to turn on that and oh maybe I'll, I'll put on a headset so i don't bother my partner uh you know all this other stuff and, and you know it, you might accidentally wake up your partner with a tv like and then you have to deal with like that stuff so i, I don't know having the switch and like they they updated it so that the dimmest setting is like super dim yeah uh, you could play it in a pitch pitch black room and it's not gonna like shine everywhere uh so yeah, that, know, isn't that lovely? It's awesome. I mean, I'm so glad bad that for your up. eyes. You probably should. No, yeah, totally. Light, but. Totally, but we're fucking up our eyes in a million ways. Anyhow, we're we're creative when it comes to that stuff. So yeah, who who cares? This is just you know, pile it on. Give it to me. Fuck my eyes up. Um, let's see. Next, uh, witch fire from bullet storm humans is how I wrote this. I don't know why. Sometimes I just write stuff and I don't think about it. Uh, basically, the Bulletstorm developers are are making a new game. I, another one I didn't pay too close attention to, and we could just move on. Uh, you can play A Way Out in co-op uh, with a friend who doesn't own it. A Way Out is that um, – it's the new game from the developer of Brothers, Joseph uh, – what's his last – you just talked to him today, Stephanie. Ferris. Ferris, that's right. Jo yeah, uh, jo Hayes Light Studios. Yeah, Hayes Light Studios, that's right. And they uh, previously – this is a studio that made Brothers uh, – a tale, 
brother, brothers, a tale of two sons. That's what, or is a son's yep. a tale of two brothers. Yep. Uh, yeah. The first one. And now they are working with EA on this new game, which is like basically another sort of two things happening at once, but they're in separate locations and it's a prison breakout game. Uh, and you can e- either as a single player, you could control both like over time or you can do it co-op. Uh, and it looks, it looks cool. And they showed a new trailer and no one's talking about it because Joseph Harris uh, got on stage after being jet lagged, as he put it, uh, and was very passionate again, as he put it, um, telling the Oscars to go fuck themselves up and then saying that EA who's, you know, he's working with, uh, he doesn't care. You know, the publishers fuck up sometimes. And these are all, this is how he put almost everything. I'm not like putting, like putting words in his mouth too much here. I don't think. Um, and that, but then he doesn't care because EA has treated him so well and it, it enabled him to pay his team. Uh, and they're letting them keep a lot, like most of the revenue, if not all the revenue. Um, so, I mean, I don't Steph, you talked to him. I know the, the, the interview is probably not coming out, uh, you know, yet, but is there anything from that that you learned that you would want to share here? Well, I did ask him to clarify what he meant by the Oscars and go fuck themselves. Because <laughs> I was like, did you have like a traumatic experience? Because he, he has a background in film. That's he's a good made, point. Like, he's directed yeah. like five films or something. Um, but he, he clarified that what he meant was basically uh, everyone calls the Game Awards the Oscars of gaming. And he was like, we shouldn't have to compare ourselves to them. Like gaming is its whole own thing. You know, there's so much creativity and talent in the gaming industry. Why do we have to have an Oscars? Why can't we just have the Games Awards, you know? So he was basically saying, he wasn't like, you know, fuck Hollywood. He was just like, you know, we don't need to compare ourselves. We can just go and do our own kind of award show without, you know, having to invite these comparisons. The, the, so this that was, was gonna, sort of his thing. This was going to be our second segment. We, we don't have to, like, talk about it too much. But I just feel like he accomplished the exact opposite of what he set out to do there. <laughs> because, like... The, <laughs> All you do is draw attention to the fact that you're in some scrap with Hollywood or some scrap with the with the Academy, uh, of, you know, of motion pictures or whatever, and they don't even know that they're in this fight. They don't care. They're not. They're, no one there even knows that the Game Awards exist. They don't give a shit. They are just making movies, and that's that. So by going on stage and bringing attention to this thing that the other side, uh, quote unquote, doesn't even know about, uh, it reminds me of like how Chicago thinks it's in a rivalry with with new york as cities and like new york doesn't know they don't care no one in new york thinks about chicago and chicago's like oh look at this thing that we do better in new york and no one in new york like is even paying attention and so whenever someone you sound like you're channeling bill simmons right now i'm i don't i don't listen to his podcast but i'm this is probably something you know maybe touches on this stuff uh yeah boston's the same way uh but like yeah so whenever someone someone from chicago like talks that way i'm like okay like you're being kind of insecure right now and that's how it came across as gaming being insecure but here's the thing. It's an award show. Who cares? And that's the, in the end, that's really the truth there. Yeah. You but, know, awards, people who do good work do not need awards for them. And I'm going to, I'm going to rant now. And this is just based uh-oh. on my whole experience. Brace yourself. But, okay. So back, back in my newspaper days, we had, we had the awards for our professional organizations and we would sit there and we would, you know, as we brainstorm big feature package stories, people would say, Oh, that's going to be an award winner. And I always say, but who cares if it's an award winner? Let's do something that's good, you know? And yes, I have my awards on my resume, but... (laughs) Daddy's got to get paid. So yeah, put that on your resume. Well, yeah, that's part of daddy that's got to get paid. But, you know, (laughs) I don't, you know, I resented the fact that we would do these big feature packages for no other reason because they would be potential award winners. And people aren't out there making games and making movies. Well, I, I think some are, but... 
I don't think anyone's making games thinking, oh, we're going to win all these awards with it. No. No, they're making games because either they want to sell a lot of a product or they have an artistic expression with the game they want to make. Uh, I think that's how most filmmakers are. Too. Yeah, but like just to, to, to counter that, uh, I, I agree for the most part. But when you have something like the Game Awards and that you do set it up as this sort of broad audience thing – something might happen where Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of Canada might say, Hey, this game from our country won an award. I understand what that means and can celebrate that and, and, and tell my country men and women that this is worth celebrating, which he did on Twitter today. He's like, Hey, uh, cuphead from studio MHDR from Canada won two awards. Congratulations. Just tweeted that. And now, you know, everyone can is like, Oh wow. Okay. This, that, that's cool. This is something we all understand. It's, a very basic com- concept that most people can That's latch somebody onto. doing some good staff work for him. Oh, yeah, without a doubt, for sure. But the, the, <laughs> the, the effect is the same. I agree. I, I don't think he wrote that tweet himself. He wasn't on his, you know, whatever they have in Canada. I, you know, I, I, maple syrup phones. I don't know. Yeah. Cool. But, but I mean, at the same time, you know, and we did a story on it because just to show you how rare it is for that to happen, you know, who else has done that? PM in Poland. Yeah, exactly. Poland, yeah. Poland's it. Yeah. That's um, about it. Yep. And... <clears throat> But at the same time, do we really need world leaders to be recognizing games? Are we no, that but the, you know the point conscious is that, and feeling and feeling like we're still in that dark corner in the basement? No, that, but that, no? I don't think that's what that, what that is. I think that's just uh, it. Just shows how easy the award show is to understand. If if a political staff can quickly put together a tweet and get it out, and it's all accurate, and it was all it all made sense, and it supports their political initiatives, uh, like clearly, it's just like this very common experience that we all have and it's one of the reasons why these things will continue to happen uh because yeah it's just something like even outside of gaming if you're if it's something that you only interact with very briefly you know on a day-to-day basis or it's something like your government in funds like the canadian government does it's like oh okay we could show how our efforts are paying off here in a way that we know everyone following this twitter account will understand so there's something there i get why they happen at the same time to bring it back to joseph ferris i I don't care. I didn't care when he was. I thought that this is fun. I I, I go into these award shows not expecting to be to feel like we are really celebrating the industry in any concrete way. Uh, Maybe I'll see some cool trailers. Maybe I won't. I I I don't care either way about that. Uh, But this does not. I don't think this actually reflects poorly on video gaming. Uh, I don't know, Stephanie. Do you have any thoughts here? Yeah, I just think like um, it kind of. I mean, I it was the first time I watched the Game Awards. And I felt very confused by the end because all the trailers made it feel like it was like this E3 industry kind of thing. But then there was also like cultural things they were trying to do with like the orchestra and having Phoenix perform. So it was almost like a mimicry of like a big Hollywood media kind of thing. If anything, it's the MTV Music Video Awards or the MTV Movie Awards. That's what it is. Just forget. Yeah, but I was just like, who is this for? And then there were all these like commercials in between and these deals and like eBay and McDonald's. Those are those so were new. Weird... Yeah, then yeah. Yes, yeah, it, it was just a weird mishmash of like it kind of goes back to like what you guys talked about like a couple months ago. I think you and Mike did this whole are games art or are they products, you know? And it kind of like goes back to that award show kind of encapsulates the feeling of like the confusion there. Yeah, of, like are we here to celebrate the artistic accomplishments? 
and like Carol Shaw and you know like these debut games or are we there to like kind of push products and look forward to this in 2018 it was just like kind of a weird yeah and, and you say like okay one has to exist for the other to exist which is what I mean those, those eBay commercials and stuff I, I yeah all that stuff's like gaudy and annoying and gross but like they you know these people got to get paid they're trying to make money they're doing they're not doing the show just to to actually celebrate anything they're doing a show because oh they like this this medium and they all want to get a paycheck at the end of the day so i i get that stuff um but but what you're talking like the fundamental you know incongruity between these two things of trying to be a broad entertainment product in itself uh that justifies uh, bringing in an audience that might not care about carol shaw uh, uh, by saying, oh, there's going to be these world-exclusive trailers, one after the other. And, you know, who is she again for our audience who may not be familiar? Yeah, like a, a, a long-time developer <clears throat> who worked... Yeah, she was at Atari and Activision. That's right. Made River Raid, uh, a couple other things. Um, and, yeah, and she, the, it was a really... The thing is, that those things are really nice. It was nice that they do these things. Uh, the, it was a good moment. They gave her her time on the stage, and she... she you know, she she's an elderly lady now, and she spoke very slowly, and it was like the, the show let itself slow down for her and i thought they did a, it was pretty respectful um uh, but you know it is still happening within this framework this very odd framework of yes one sales pitch after another uh and like the, the, the conversation you brought up that me and mike had it was always it wasn't necessarily about how we view games are they art or are they a product it was about how companies and, and, and marketing departments and publishers try to sell us video games uh, and I think they are more confused than they have ever been about like how to approach that. And this show feels like a product, like a, by, a byproduct of that confusion, um, which I, it has been that way for a long time. And maybe, maybe more than ever, those that that dichotomy is feeling like very noticeable. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's going to get fixed. I, I think this is going to continue to be the show that it is, and take it for what it is. And then when Joseph Harris goes off and does this weird thing. It's it's I don't know if I'm having fun because like oh this might derail the show and that that's kind of more exciting to me than anything else so I don't know well, we can move on from that but it was it was just a lot of people tr- tr- you know treated it like oh this is going to set gaming back or it's going to set uh, this even this dude's career back I, I don't think anything else no one's going to remember this by it's next week fine. yeah it's no fine. it's not going to set gaming back or his career it just back. doesn't going to set game what's going to set gaming back is the you know, the tax bill, the way it's going to hurt freelancers and, because so yeah, many people just, yeah. especially making contract, like so many contract employees. That's something mm-hmm. we will actually, we need to kind of come back and talk about that. We have to do segments. a show on that. Yes, for sure. Um, especially as, as it moves forward right now, it's still being worked on. We'll see. Um, okay. Let's get through the, re- the rest of these uh, uh, game award announcements. Um, let's see. Uh, PUBG desert map 1.0. Uh, 1.0 launches on December 20th. Desert Map is live on the test server right now, actually. I still haven't got a chance to try that out. I'm going to try to do that, maybe. So um, Evan Lotti at uh, PC Gamer posted a little clip and said, basically, it's turned into CrossFit. Cross? Oh, and oh, everyone oh is yes. Just yeah, everyone's... Okay, so yeah. It also, <laughs> jumping up and down thing. Yes, it, it has vaulting <laughs> now, so everyone's like, yeah, jumping over everything in front of them as if they are one of those annoying CrossFit people. Good point. Oh, that's so <laughs> that's <funny. laughs> a good joke. It's a very funny little clip. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I'll, I'll retweet it out of uh, the GameSpeed account later. Yeah, do that for sure. I want to see it. Um, Fortnite Battle Royale, the uh, the base of the PUBG clone, got a... It's getting a limited time 50 on 50 mode. I, I think it's live now. Well, no, I know it's live. Uh, I tried it. I, I'm not sure if it's live on all platforms. I tried it on Xbox. Uh, it works. It's cool. It's it's really neat. Um, you see, like your whole swarm of of you know teammates, like 
all working together and you all see each other on the mini map. Uh, so you very naturally sort of glom together and go after the other team. And, you know, I played one match. We won. It was, it's cool. I, uh, I don't know why it's temporary. I don't know why they would take this out of the game. Uh, I am sure there's something to that because PUBG like maximum team size in most games is four in custom games. You could make it as much as eight. Um, we sort of, slapped together and duct taped together a 50 on 50 match in that game by doing shirts versus skins. And that worked, but it wasn't, wasn't pretty. Uh, so there must, there must be some reason why they don't just do this as an option permanently. In, in the bigger context of, you know, you know, battlegrounds versus Fortnite, it seems like Fortnite's really carving itself. It's its own place, isn't it? Oh yeah, for sure. I, I, I get why that is too. It's, um, much friendlier, like it's it's got hit scan weapons instead of rendering the bullets like actually covering time and space. So if you pull a trigger and you're aiming at someone, you're going to hit them every time. And that's something that I think, you know, that's how Call of Duty works. People, if you're coming into these games sort of fresh, that's going to be a, a lot easier to deal with than trying to lead someone who is running across the field with a pump or with a, you know, a, a bolt action rifle. Uh, you're going to be very frustrated with that if you're like, okay, why am I not hitting them? Oh, I got to lead them in like, oh, it drops. There's bullet drop too. Okay, that's 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 difficult. Um, also, the art is is also friendly. You know, it's very it's cartoonish. It's um, uh, welcoming. It's warm. It, it, there's colors. Something PUBG. You know, it's very muted. Uh, at the same time, I think now that we see this like desert map, um, I, I feel like people are going to see just how much more interesting the actual world and walking around inside PUBG is. And I think that's going to keep most people who are already on PUBG sticking with PUBG. Uh, and anyone who comes in here uh, sort of wanting to play with their friends probably going to end up doing the same thing. But, you know, Fortnite's free, completely free. There's not, not even microtransactions, at least yet. Uh, so that's going to keep it's going to keep growing. It's going to keep doing just fine. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. It's going to be no, it's going to be a fight to pay attention to, though. Isn't it, isn't it also good to see these two pushing one another when it comes to how they develop their games? I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm still, you know, that's still a point of contention, right? Like, uh, you know, Blue Hole, now the PUBG Corporation, they were working with Epic, the developers of Fortnite, uh, to help them, like, figure out the, the engine that they're using, which is Epic's engine, um, to make a game like this, to make a game with where 100 people could exist on a server in a huge map all at once. And as Epic was helping them do that, now they're making their own version of that. And are they giving them, giving themselves, you know, ideas and advantages before they, you know, populate it on unreal for everybody. Uh, who knows? Maybe, but that seems like, uh, I, I don't know if they, if that's, if they're going to come at the same, Oh, we're pushing each other or what maybe, you know, when you come out with a 50 versus 50 mode, that's something I think that, you know, PUBG will have to respond to. So in that point, yeah, you're right. Um, but I'm still not sure how they how they feel about one another at this point, and if that animosity is not going to bring about the the you know the best results for players as you know as they would have if it were like an actual like fair fight, if that makes sense. Um, well, you know, PUBG can always make its own engine. Yeah, no, I mean, totally. Like, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, you, you know, if you if it really comes down to that, just go do your own thing. Yeah, at the same time, it just feels. I mean, I, I don't care. They're, they're both companies with a lot of money. They'll figure it out. Um, Metroid, uh, Metro Exodus, uh, not Metroid, Metro, uh, got a new trailer. Uh, that game looked really good at E3. I think it still looks good. Uh, that's nice. Uh, Bethesda promised us a safe single player. They did a little funny ad, but basically all their, all, their, all their single player games are on sale right now. 
uh, f- up to 50% off, I think, was basically what. What's the- really funny, too, is uh, if you check Pete Hines, um, you know, the, the head of communications over at Bethesda, he was talking about that outfit that Linda Carter was wearing in the ad. Uh, one of the, the original Wonder Woman, for those of you who may not remember. Right, the actress, yeah. And uh, take a look at his Twitter. And it, 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 it's kind of funny, some of the discussion there. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't catch any of that. So, yeah, what, what was the gist? Like, what's the... Well, so so it, it ties back to she was going to be in Apocalypse Now. Huh, okay. But, oh, she was? Yeah, but there was a storm and it kind of, you know, the jacket she's wearing, talking from Pete Swear here, the jacket from Apocalypse Now, which Linda was on set for and was supposed to be in until a typhoon screwed things up and she had to leave to go shoot for Wonder Woman. Huh. And that's the reason why it has all these uh, unit vision patches on it. Oh, wow. Okay. That's neat. I didn't know that. That's yeah. really cool. Uh, yeah. You know, it's those little things. You know, she was actually, she's been in some um, Bethesda games, which is one of the reasons she did the ad. Uh, well, and she's just cool. Finally, the, and let's get to this. Let's let's talk about it. Uh, the Death Stranding trailer, uh, the latest in in the saga of Death Stranding trailers. Uh, Hideo Kojima's latest game, his first as an independent developer, essentially um, no longer works for Konami. This is this is Hideo Kojima Unchained. Is it Hideo or Hideo? I don't know. Hideo. Yeah, probably Hideo. Yeah, Hideo Games is how I always say it. So I don't know. Um, it sounds like you're trying to say hideous. Well, some of the things in the trailer were definitely that. Uh, I don't know. Okay, so boom, boom, boom. it's weird. Did I just set you up for that? I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Uh, it's weird because it's yeah Hideo Kojima uh, trailer. So I, we don't have to maybe go point by point. But I don't know, Stephanie. Is there anything here that you like, s- like stuck out to you? You're like, oh God, we got to talk about this. Oh my God! I mean, it's just a masterpiece, isn't <laughs> it? Really, it? <laughs> truly is. <laughs> trailer of the year we still don't know what death stranding is but the, we've got we're getting multiple videos they always seem to involve like a number of you know one or two key actors which is uh they uh and the last one was mads mickelson uh who's hannibal and a few other things he was in the rogue one um it, uh, it most of them also involve uh norman reedus from walking dead and sometimes guillermo del toro the director is on, in there as well uh there's also always this baby like the, there's almost always this like little baby in a jar or elsewhere. Uh, and I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really get any of it. It's just sort of one visual after another of uh, dudes in the military, people cleaning up a, a, some awful chemical spill. Or it looks like they're all in these like a uh, 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 uniforms where they're trying to, you know, keep toxins away from them or whatever. Um, and the world just looks like it's completely effed up. Uh, and then it just keeps getting weirder and weirder. There's like, there is the baby in the jar that Norman Reedus is holding and he is carrying it. And then apparently swallows it because we, in a following scene, we see a, a giant creature getting built out of smaller creatures who are just floating around in the world. And that freaks him out and he falls down. And then we go down Norman Reedus's throat. And once we're down in Norman Reedus's throat, like the camera just actually just dives right into his throat uh, as his mouth opens inside the throat. We just see a little baby pop up its head, give a thumbs up, and then we zoom right back out. Little thumbs up. Little thumbs up. The cutest little thumbs up. It was the best. Uh, it's like, it's, it, 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 it's, it's like the, um, you know, the little mouse-like creatures that eat the fish's tongue and then they take the place of the fish's tongue. Oh yeah, the little parasites that just sit yeah. there, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, I love, I mean, so we know, not to get into like conspiracy no, theories. No, do it. We know 
we know that Death Stranding is the, the phenomenon where whales all just beach themselves, right? And then they all just die there. So it seems like what's happening is probably in some kind of distant future scenario, like humankind has at some point, you know, just we're just sort of like throwing ourselves to our doom. And then there are these like attack on Titan things. Right. Some some giant thing with a hand for a head. And then I don't know. I mean what what is it? What is it? I just want to know what it is. Or I'm okay with just not knowing. Yeah. I, you know, I just want just trailers to just keep. Yeah. At a certain point, is it almost better if the game never comes out and we just keep getting these teases year after year after year? Man. Well, can live up to years. the trailer. I, I don't even know if it has to. I mean, it, it could maybe. I think Metal Gear Solid Five is one of those games that did live, live up to the trailers in terms of, I mean, in terms of the quality of the video game. I don't know if it, like, it met any of the insanity of the trailers. But in its own right, like, the buildup that you know Kojima does at this point, selling his games, is an art of its own. It is worthy of our attention and our time, uh, and getting these prime spots on the Game Awards every year and E3 or whatever. Uh, that it's yeah, it's totally worth it on its own. I, I, the game could be separate from it. Like he's really good at this. He's really good at building up, you know, anticipation and confusion and conspiracy theories. Uh, he might be like one of the best at it, like across almost any medium. Like it's so kind of like insane how much fervor he can create. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's all nonsense, really. Hopefully, hopefully we'll get a playable trailer <laughs> for Death Stranding. That would be true. That would be. I would. Yes, I would love that. Yeah. For sure. So my question is: my question is, if the baby's in his throat or in his stomach, does that mean that Norman Reedus's final form is Fat Bastard? Because there's a baby in his belly. Are we doing Austin Powers jokes, Jason, on my podcast? <laughs> hey, I'm I'm old and not you know I'm not with the Tumblr memes, so I have to go with what I know. Man, I mean, honestly, Austin Powers memes are probably pretty popular on Tumblr. If I'm being honest, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, okay, we, we... yeah, Steph had to explain Tumblr to me today. Oh, fun! I wish I would have heard that conversation. Um, no, you don't. <laughs> Okay, we are, we are running longer than we intended to, so let's move on from the Game Awards. Uh, hit these last couple of news items real quick, and then uh, we'll end up... I'll, I'm going to have Stephanie explain what's happening with Patreon to all of us. Uh, first, though, Mega Man is back. I wish Mike were here. Mike is a huge Mega Man fan. Uh, he was very excited, though, when they announced Mega Man 11, which has 2.5D art, which is basically... It, it kind of looks 2D, but it's all rendered you know, three-dimensionally. Um, it looks really good. I, I, I think it looks pretty okay. Mike says it looks great. Uh, so I trust him on that for now. Um, Mega Man X. Yeah, he even wrote a piece defending the art, which is, you don't really see. Yeah, and I think I think people are actually coming around to what he was saying, excuse me, to what he was saying there. Uh, even people who are skeptical. I remember Anthony saying, you know what? I'm Yeah, I think I'm on board with this. Um, all the Mega Man X games are getting re-released. It's unclear if they are coming out in a collection like the old Mega Man games or if they'll be like, individual releases but they'll, they'll be on switch and every other modern console so we'll see those uh mega man legacy collection one and two are coming to the switch uh early next year and yeah uh i, I wrote here mike is clearly taking control of reality because all of these things are what a mike would want so yeah he's ascended that's, that's right. why he's not exactly here. yeah <laughs> he has risen to heaven and is pulling the strings now uh so congrats to mike on that um Finally, well, you know, oh, go good for good for those people who you know are are fans of the series and, and want to see more because so many people felt burned by Mighty Number no. Nine, which was 
a bad Mega Man. You know, the continuation of the original vision of Mega Man. From one of the dudes that worked on the game early on, yeah. Mm-hmm. That game was not good. Um, yeah, so uh, this is, yeah. And Capcom hasn't treated Mega Man very well. I, for example, they did a, uh, a timeline video where they went over the history of Mega Man, and it shows all these games coming out year after year after year, and then you get to, like, 2011... And the way they represented it, like, it just sort of scans past, and he's, like, sitting on, like, his floating dog thing that he rides, and it's just, like, spikes that would instantly kill Mega Man all through these years, from, like, 2011 to 2017, and it's like, okay, now we're releasing games again. So, like, even Capcom realizes they have not treated it very well. Um, yeah, hopefully this is a turnaround. Hopefully this uh, gets this series kind of back into uh, Capcom's, uh, you know, prime spot. Yeah. The, the question it's going to be, as what people have always been wondering is, you know, what's a new Mega Man game without Edifuni going to be like? Yeah, I, but I mean, I think we saw with Sonic Mania that something like letting people who are passionate about the series, who played it and understood why it was great, can still pay off. So, so we'll see. I think Sonic Mania might have given Capcom the uh, confidence to do something like this. Um, okay. Yeah. And oh, go ahead. And, you know, we've done a couple of interviews, too, about how that happened, uh, what Retrobeat was exactly about, what um, is happening with kind of this rebirth of Sonic. Yeah, yeah that's a... And, we should definitely... and trusting these other people to, to work on it. Yeah, it's definitely something... Well, like, uh, you could check out Mike's Retrobeat, uh, where he kind of covers these kinds of topics. Um, he's not here to plug himself, so I'll, I'll help him out. Uh, we do those once a week, uh, where he covers you know older games, and a lot of that stuff's about Mega Man this week. Um, okay. So, uh, last story before Patreon, uh, steam is no longer supporting Bitcoin, no longer accepts it at all. Basically that, uh, I don't know if, if you haven't been paying attention to Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency, the digital coin, uh, it's, it's risen up to like $16,000 for a, a Bitcoin. Now, this is something that started off. What is a Bitcoin for those? who? Yeah. Know? Uh, that's always a fun thing to answer. Um, it's a, <laughs> it's a, so it's a cryptocurrency, which means it is a, Currency that exists because of a a crypto a cryptographic algorithm that that once you once you start the algorithm you can no longer c- control it you uh, so it becomes decentralized so the person that like you know invented Bitcoin has no control over it anymore at this point the only way to deal with Bitcoin is to in- engage with this algorithm and the way you do that is to create a Bitcoin transaction which requires this algorithm to run and the algorithm is very very complex so this complex algorithm is running and the only way that that you can calculate this complex math is to use computer hardware and this causes this makes it so they could spread the, the the load over you know multiple computers around the world people jump in and help with their graphics cards or with you know bitcoin mining farms and the reason they call it mining is because if you help out solve these algorithmic transactions you get a little bit of Bitcoin and that's how the, the economy continues and continues to grow and people you know, can get in on it. Um, and that's what keeps it secure because it's so complex that no one person could crack it or anything like that. So that's, I mean, that's a crash course in Bitcoin. It's, it's, an, it's an imaginary money. It's money on the internet. Uh, people used it early on to buy drugs and uh, to do illegal things. Um, and it was successful at that to the point where it has spread into places like Steam. In 2016, after years of talking about it, really, my G- Gabe Newell talked about it in 2014 and said something they were considering. Uh, Valve says, hey, we're going to start accepting this, this coin, uh, this digital coin. Uh, so, it, you know, it's imaginary, but all money is imaginary. It just matters, like, if you decide to, to buy in, people were buying in on Bitcoin. 
but the problem is, is people have bought in way too much uh, to the point where it is now, be- like, even before it's a currency, it is being viewed as a, like a speculative investment. Um, so people are getting in and they are buying Bitcoin and they're not, they're not doing it with any intention of going out to spend it. They're doing it to make money. They're like, they're seeing that it is going from a couple hundred dollars a few years ago to $16,000 right now. Um, so it's, it's an investment. Um, and that, that by driving up the cost, um, this in- increases the rate of these transactions and it puts a huge load on the Bitcoin network, which is all these computers networked together trying to solve that algorithm for these transactions. And that causes the fees to go up. So when Steam first accepted Bitcoin, a, uh, the fee for transaction, which and the fee is always paid by the person who engages the transaction. So if you're going to buy a game on Steam, this would be you, the customer, uh, has to pay that fee. It was like 20 cents in 2016. Uh, since then, as, this, as it's gone, it increased in value and there's all these other transactions happening, uh, it was growing. Like last week, I guess, it was almost $20 per transaction. So that's on top of the price of the video game. That is the person paying this. Uh, so that, and, and Steam's seeing this and it's like, okay, that's just, that, that's unacceptable. On the other side of this, there's also the volatility. Uh, while, you know, Bitcoin does continue to rise, it does, it has seen several like micro crashes over the last couple of months where it will, it'll lose like 25% of its value in a day. Um, and when that happens, you know, you go to make a purchase of a game and you're, you're paying a certain amount of Bitcoin and uh, the Bitcoin network will, will secure the value of that, that transaction for a limited amount of time. But the problem with these transactions are that, again, very complex algorithm. It takes a long time for, sometimes for these transactions to go through. And sometimes the value guarantee will expire before the transaction's done. The price will crash. Uh, and the person paying won't, will no longer be able to cover the cost of the game. And Valve will have to say, hey, uh, we need more from you. At which point, if the person pays with Bitcoin again, they're going to have to pay that fee twice. So it's like, it, it's, not, it wasn't, it's not viable anymore. Which, I mean, th- this is a bigger conversation. We can move on from this. But uh, the, if you, you can't use it to buy like, something like video games on the internet, uh, like, how is it working as a currency anymore? Is it, really, is, is it at this point just an investment? And then at that point, like, well, how, is it, how does it have any value? So I, people say it's not a, bu- a, bu- a bubble. John McAvee, the brilliant John McAvee, was uh, tweeting today, oh, it, it, it's mathematically impossible for a, a Bitcoin bubble to happen, which is an insane thing to say. But luckily, John McAfee is an insane man, so it makes sense. Um, I don't know. Well, this it, seems... he could be right. We don't understand it. Yeah, he could be. I don't think so. I think a person saying a, a bubble in a financial instrument is impossible is probably going to look pretty silly at some point in time. I think that's more likely. You're right. I, I don't fully understand it, even if I have been tracking it. But I think it, it might be a nuts thing to say that uh, something that people are speculating on can't burst is, you know, have fun. Put your money in there, John McAfee. We'll see what happens. But what does this mean for getting back to our original discussion here? It just means one less way to buy things on Steam, correct? Yes. Um, we just lost Stephanie. Um, that's okay. Uh, we'll we'll wrap up here um, pretty soon. Uh, what was that? You said what? How, how, but... It just means one less way to buy things on steam that's right i, I like i think for steam for valve it's it's not necessarily a uh it's not necessarily like some huge loss for them or for the people buying games uh i think but can it also excuse me no i just think it's more indicative for for bitcoin of like what like how how it could be used as a currency for actually making purchases 
can it also be seen as Val saying, you know, we don't want to, we, you know, we're also opposed to how much these are driving up the costs of video game cards. And are we opposed to that as well? Uh, I don't think so. I, I, I mean, that is another aspect, but Bitcoin, because Bitcoin's not really a GPU thing anymore. Uh, no one really uses GPUs to mine for Bitcoins. Uh, that's Ethereum and these other cryptocurrencies that have come in up a, a, in its place. Uh, and Valve has never accepted those. Uh, so I doubt that would be, that would have any direct link here. I mean, people do end up, they mine Ethereum and then they'll buy Bitcoins with it. Uh, so that, you know, indirectly linked, but I don't think that's what, what is happening here. I, I would expect that it is directly like what it said, the volatility. It's just too volatile. I'm not too worried about uh, Valve and, uh, you know, figuring out ways to accept money. They'll, they'll figure that out. Um, okay. Last story. Uh, Patreon is doing something. Uh, I've been trying to pay attention. I do, I do make Patreon donations to, or, you know, contributions to a handful of people, like four or five. Um, what, I, let me explain my understanding to you, Stephanie, and then you come back and actually correct me and all the things I did wrong. Um, as far as I know, uh, I'm, I'm making these contributions and now Patreon is going to be splitting them up into more contributions and I'll be paying more fees on top of those or something like that. That's the, I mean, it sounds bad, but I, I don't really get why people are so angry. What, what's happening here? Well, it's not that they're going to split up your contributions, but for every pledge you make, you're going to be charged a transaction fee. So, um, so basically so like, what's okay. going to... Wait, how did it work before? So like, I, like all my all my Patreon contributions were maybe bundled up into one. Well, all your contributions before were still being paid for separately, but the creators were paying them. And so Patreon's rationale was, or what they're saying the rationale is, is instead of having the creators pay a two percent to ten percent transaction fee on each of these pledges or each of these batches of pledges, they want to just have the patrons pay the transaction fee so that okay. the creators can have a 95% take home of the base pledge. But the problem is that makes it really hard for people who can't afford to pay more than like a dollar per creator, you know, because right. they're being charged like for every single pledge they're making. So that like adds up very quickly. Or people who just wanted to pledge a dollar as a site of support. Right. Exactly. They're going to end up paying a dollar 38 and which like adds up, you know, over multiple creators because not everyone doesn't just like like most people don't just support one person on Patreon. They usually support like a couple, you know. So, I, I uh, Rowan Kaiser, our guest post editor for the PC Gaming Channel here uh, at Gamesbeat, uh, he he wrote a tweet, and I think this kind of summed it up pretty well. It's like uh, if Patreon is a service where a bunch of people with a lot of money are are supporting a lot of people, uh, this won't be a big deal, but. If Patreon is a service where poor people are just trying to spread a little bit of their money around to other poor people, this is going to be an issue. And I think that situation, that I think you know, that second, that second possibility seems like actually what is happening. It feels like a lot of people on Patreon are there because they they see other people struggling to you know find a way to get paid for their work, and they empathize with that because they are often in the same situation, and they're putting one dollar towards three people, four people, and uh, once they start, once those things start adding up, uh, they really could be, they could feel like, oh, I got to maybe cut back on one of these or two of these. And that could end up hurting the, the people that patrons sa says that they're trying to help here. Uh, yeah, there's some speculation about how, because this is like, 
There's some speculation about how Patreon would prefer to have fewer creators who have more patrons each so that they look more successful versus like right now there's a lot of people with Patreons where maybe they're just getting like 40 bucks a month, you know, and that's helping them pay for like a phone bill or like utilities or something, you know, and then because this really like heavily penalizes people who are just donating one or five dollars, you know, or, you know, anywhere within that sort of lower range. So it, it seems really odd. Most of the sentiment online is just this is like really terrible. People are posting screenshots of like patrons dropping out and creators even saying like, yes, go, please don't donate to me through Patreon. I'm going to set up a PayPal or do something else on my website. You know, like other developers are saying they're not even going to go on Patreon, even though they were thinking about doing it. So one of the streamers I support is shutting hers yeah. down. There's a couple of people I talk to who are shutting down their Patreons because they're just like, I don't want to do this to my, my patrons. Even though like one person only had four patrons and she was still like, no, I just don't support the way this model works. It, it, this always reminds me that like, we don't own any of the platforms that we're making content on a lot of times, especially these individuals who are publishing to YouTube. And I mean, the reason a lot of these people that are making YouTube videos ran to Patreon is because YouTube is a very Byzantine way to make like this Byzantine organization that doesn't explain its choices and how it's paying out people who are making a lot of money for YouTube. Uh, and there's, you know, a lot of people below that that aren't making quite as much. Uh, they have a, a smaller, more, more dedicated following and they could take that somewhere else and say, Hey, pay me through Patreon and I'll create content on YouTube. Uh, but it's like when you run from one platform, you don't own YouTube to another one you don't own, uh, you're going to end up in the same situation all over again. And it's just, uh, I mean, it, it'll probably be a bigger problem once net neutrality does actually go away because then it'll be really hard to do a startup for one of these, maybe to start your own platform or to start a new platform that will actually treat people well, uh, you know, 100% of the time for the rest of eternity. Um, I, I guess that, that, you know, this brings me to another question to you, Stephanie. Has anyone been floating ideas for a Patreon competitor? Are there existing ones that people are going to? So there's one called Coffee. Maybe it's Coffee. I don't know. It's K-O-F-I, where the idea is like you can buy someone a coffee, you know, and a lot of people have been saying to donate through that instead of Patreon. Hmm. Um, a lot of people have been... There's Drip. Yeah, I saw this yeah. new Drip. I, I wasn't sure. I just, I honestly saw it when I was prepping for this show. Uh, what is that? Is that new? I'm not familiar with Drip. Okay, J Jason, do you... Uh, I, I, my, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rather new... Yeah, based on the, con the, the, the context I saw was, I hope Drip is good because I'll go to that instead of Patreon. Mm -hmm. So it made it sound like it is uh, something that is in the works and maybe a direct response to this the Patreon fallout, which I feel like is a common thing that happens on the internet. We, we just went through this with the re reset era uh, coming out of the fallout for NeoGAF. Um, again, these things might be <laughs> this sort of r r response to the internet or something on the internet screwing up could go away once that, once net neutrality is no longer a thing. Um, cause again, you know, have to be entrenched and have, you know, your relationship with Verizon or whatever going beforehand, uh, to really get that fast internet. Cause otherwise you'll have a slow connection and then this stuff won't work. So, I don't know. It just it makes everything on the internet feel very tenuous and ominous. And um, yeah, I, 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 get, I have a lot of anxiety about people making money for, you know, just in general. I like want people to get paid. I really like the idea of Patreon because I'm like, yes, just fun people. Like people are making stuff. Go give them money. Find new ways to give money. Well, you know, my former coworkers 
who started Retronauts. Yeah. They're now on Patreon, and that's how I support right. them. Right, like, like the, ad mo- the ad model has broken down completely. Uh, it's a very tough business to like try to make money just selling ads on the internet. That's not really viable for anyone anymore. Uh, so, like, how are people going to get that's paid? That's why we're trying for sponsorship. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's and that's that is it works for us to you know to a point, but it's like anyone that can get direct get direct funding, like that's another really good viable alternative. Uh, but you know, these models they haven't been really sussed out and worked out very well yet. Uh, so something like Patreon can come along, attract a lot of goodwill, and then implode a little bit. And uh, well, yeah, it just makes me worry. The other thing I like, the other thing I like about this is. You know, as somebody who consumes a lot of podcasts and and, and a lot of um, articles and, and, and short stories, you know, I've got people who are writers who do news, writers who write fiction, and it's me saying, I like your work, and I like your work so much that I'm going to keep paying you directly to, to keep creating it. Yeah. The- and, 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 you know, there's something about that. It's very old school. It's like the old patron model. That's where the name comes from. But but there's something about that to me that just it feels like I'm connected to them more than just being a fan of their work. Yeah, that's what a lot of the the indie devs were saying. They were saying like you might not be getting the most uh, like actual monetary value out of a one dollar donation, but it's just sort of a vote of confidence. You know, it's saying I like the work that you do. I want to. I want you to continue doing it. I want you to be able to support yourself. And it's kind of like an emotional. It's almost like an emotional donation. You know, it's like it's just letting them know that there are people out there who are listening or watching or reading or doing everything, doing whatever. And I think we're we're really in a point on the internet where that is what is is popular. Uh, people are finding a lot of success on Twitch and YouTube and, you know, in, in writing, in podcast, uh, by building a connection with a, a group of fans and they make their group of fans, they, you know, they give them names, you know, like, uh, the, uh, like every Twitch streamer has a different name for the people that subscribe to them on Twitch or whatever. Uh, they make you feel like you're part of the, the group, part of the family. Uh, and the, one of the main reasons they do that, Twitch tells their streamers to do this. Is because that is how you get them to say, oh, I want to be like, if you're making money, then I feel like we are all succeeding. Like that is that, that is one of the models. If you, if you know, look for it, you'll see it like everywhere. Um, any final thoughts on here uh, before we wrap up the show? Yeah. If you've got a Patreon and you're going to go to another platform to try to find it, you know, be sure to just broadcast yeah, it. Yeah. But, you know, make sure, make sure folks know. know. Um, okay. Uh, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Um, I want to thank everyone for joining us. Uh, before we get out of here, I'm going to have uh, Jason and Stephanie give a little bit of plug on like where you can find them if you're interested. Uh, Stephanie, we'll start with you and, and tell us tell us about Indie Beat, actually. Oh, yeah. So I have a new column called Indie Beat, which runs every Thursday. And I'm just trying to find sort of like new... Oh, no, I wonder if it's me. Sorry. It's <laughs> <That's laughs> okay. Uh, but I'm just trying to highlight some independent developers who are like you know, in the middle of developing their projects. So whether um, you're a student or you're just like an indie dev who's currently working on something cool, you have a Kickstarter or Indiegogo or whatever, I'm interested in talking to you. Um, so. Or you're just self-funding. Yeah, or just self-funding. Or if you have a Patreon slash drip, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. So always looking for people to talk to and looking for new games to learn about and play. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Sweiju Chan, which is S W E I J U C H A N. 
How about you, Jason? Uh, I'm on Jason underscore Wilson undercase on Twitter, where I talk about games and sports and politics and Hearthstone. grammar. Talks about Hearthstone. And how to write and how to edit. I talk about Hearthstone too. And, you know, you, I don't write much these days, but, you know, you, you see me in every piece that's on GameSpeed because I'm the one who's, you know, trusting these guys to go out and find the good stories. Edits almost everything they post. Um, I am Jeff Grubb on Twitter. I also have some stuff going up on YouTube, youtube.com slash Jeffrey Grubb, uh, twitch.com slash Jeffrey Grubb, or slash Jeff Grubb, excuse me. Um, I want to I bring back PUBG Family Dinner. Um, looking to do that at some point in the near future. It's still been a, it's the busy time of year. It's been the busy time of year. Uh, once we kind of get on the other side of game of the year, I'll be able to maybe start that up again. We'll see. Um, yeah, and we'll be back with another episode next week. Uh, I guess we should talk. I guess we'll see. I don't I don't actually know how that episode will work. The standard episode. Me and Mike might crank one out like fast on the side. We're going to be doing a lot of Game of the Year recording next week, and those episodes will go up over the last week of the year. So uh, look forward to that stuff. Uh, but if we can't get an episode out, I apologize in advance, but I think we should be able to do something. I want to make sure something goes up. Um, but other than that, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week, and take care. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.